Chapter 9 of The Spirit of the Age, or Contemporary Portraits by William Hazlitt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 9 Sir James Mackintosh. The subject of the present article is one of the ablest and most accomplished men of the age, both as a writer, a speaker, and a converser. He is, in fact, master of almost every known topic whether of a passing or of a more recondite nature he has lived much in society and is deeply conversant with books he is a man of the world and a scholar but the scholar gives the tone to all his other acquirements and pursuits sir james is by education and habit and we were going to add by the original turn of his mind a college man and perhaps he would have passed this time most happily and respectably had he devoted himself entirely to that kind of life the strength of his faculties would have been best developed his ambition would have met its proudest reward in the accumulation and elaborate display of grave and useful knowledge as it is it may be said that in company he talks well but too much that in writing he overlays the original subject and spirit of the composition by an appeal to authorities and by too formal a method that in public speaking the logician takes place of the orator and that he fails to give effect to a particular point or to urge an immediate advantage home upon his adversary from the enlarged scope of his mind and the wide career he takes in the field of argument to consider him in the last point of view first as a political partisan he is rather the lecturer than the advocate he is able to instruct and delight an impartial and disinterested audience by the extent of his information by his acquaintance with general principles by the clearness and aptitude of his illustrations by vigor and copiousness of style but where he has a prejudiced or unfair antagonist to contend with he is just as likely to put weapons into his enemy's hands as to wrest them from him and his object seems to be rather to deserve than to obtain success the characteristics of his mind are retentiveness and comprehension with facility of production but he is not equally remarkable for originality of view or warmth of feeling or liveliness of fancy his eloquence is a little rhetorical his reasoning chiefly logical he can bring down the account of knowledge on a vast variety of subjects to the present moment he can embellish any cause he undertakes by the most approved and graceful ornaments he can support it by a host of facts and examples but he cannot advance it a step forward by placing it on a new and triumphant vantage ground nor can he overwhelm and break down the artificial fences and bulwarks of sophistry by the irresistible tide of manly enthusiasm sir james mackintosh is an accomplished debater rather than a powerful orator he is distinguished more as a man of wonderful and variable talent than as a man of commanding intellect his mode of treating a question is critical and not parliamentary it has been formed in the closet and the schools and is hardly fitted for scenes of active life or the collisions of party spirit sir james reasons on the square while the arguments of his opponents are loaded with iron or gold he makes indeed a respectable ally but not a very formidable opponent he is as likely however to prevail on a neutral and he is almost certain to be baffled on a hotly contested ground on any question of general policy or legislative improvement the member for nairn is heard with advantage and his speeches are attended with effect and he would have equal weight and influence at other times if it were the object of the house to hear reason as it is his aim to speak it 
but on subjects of peace or war of political rights or foreign interference where the waves of party run high and the liberty of nations or the fate of mankind hangs trembling in the scales though he probably displays equal talent and does full and heap justice to the question abstractedly speaking or if it were to be tried before an impartial assembly yet we confess we have seldom heard him on such occasions without pain for the event he did not slur his own character and pretensions but he compromised the argument he spoke the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth but the house of commons we dare not aver it is not the place where the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth can be spoken with safety or with advantage the judgment of the house is not a balance to weigh scruples and reasons to the turn of a fraction another element besides the love of truth enters into the composition of their decisions the reaction of which must be calculated upon and guarded against if our philosophical statesman had to open the case before a class of tyros or a circle of greybeards who wished to form or to strengthen their judgments upon fair and rational grounds nothing could be more satisfactory more luminous more able or more decisive than the view taken of it by sir james mackintosh but the house of commons as a collective body have not the docility of youth the calm wisdom of age and often only want an excuse to do wrong or to adhere to what they have already determined upon and sir james in detailing the inexhaustible stores of his memory and reading in unfolding the wide range of his theory and practice in laying down the rules and the exceptions in insisting upon the advantages and the objections with equal explicitness would be sure to let something drop that a dexterous and watchful adversary would easily pick up and turn against him if this were found necessary or if with so many pros and cons doubts and difficulties dilemmas and alternatives thrown into it the scale with its natural bias to interest and power did not already fly up and kick the beam there wanted unity of purpose impetuosity of feeling to break through the phalanx of hostile and invertebrate prejudice arrayed against him he gave a handle to his enemies through stumbling-blocks in the way of his friends he raised so many objections for the sake of answering them proposed so many doubts for the sake of solving them and made so many concessions where none were demanded that his reasoning had the effect of neutralizing itself it became a mere exercise of the understanding without zest or spirit left in it and the provident engineer who was to shatter in pieces the strongholds of corruption and oppression by a well-directed and unsparing discharge of artillery seemed to have brought not only his own cannon-balls but his own wool-packs along with him to ward off the threatened mischief this was a good deal the effect of his maiden speech on the transfer of genoa to which lord castlereagh did not deign an answer and which another honorable member called a finical speech it was a most able candid closely argued and philosophical exposure of that unprincipled transaction but for this very reason it was a solecism in the place where it was delivered sir james has since this period and with the help of practice lowered himself to the tone of the house and has also applied himself to questions more congenial to his habits of mind and where the success would be more likely to be proportioned to his zeal and his exertions there was a greater degree of power or of dashing and splendid effect we wish we could add an equally humane and liberal spirit in the lectures on the law of nature and nations formerly delivered by sir james then mr mackintosh in lincoln's inn hall he showed greater confidence was more at home there the effect was more electrical and instantaneous and this elicited a prouder display of intellectual riches and a more animated and imposing mode of delivery 
he grew wanton with success dazzling others by the brilliancy of his acquirements dazzled himself by the admiration they excited he lost fear as well as prudence dared everything carried everything before him the modern philosophy counterscarp outworks citadel and all fell without a blow by the whiff and wind of his fell doctrine as if it had been a pack of cards the volcano of the french revolution was seen expiring in its own flames like a bonfire made of straw the principles of reform were scattered in all directions like chaff before the keen northern blast he laid about him like one inspired nothing could withstand his envenomed tooth like some savage beast got into the garden of the fabled hesperides he made clear work of it root and branch with white foaming tusks laid waste the borders and or through the bowers the havoc was amazing the desolation was complete as to our visionary skeptics and utopian philosophers they stood no chance with our lecturer he did not carve them as a dish fit for the gods but hewed them as a carcass fit for hounds poor godwin who had come in the bonhomie and candour of his nature to hear what new light had broken in upon his old friend was obliged to quit the field and slunk away after an exulting taunt thrown out at such fanciful chimeras as a golden mountain or a perfect man mr mackintosh had something of the air much of the dexterity and self-possession of a political and philosophical juggler and an eager and admiring audience gaped and greedily swallowed the gilded bait of sophistry prepared for their credulity and wonder those of us who attended day after day and were accustomed to have all our previous notions confounded and struck out of our hands by some metaphysical ledger domain were at last at some loss to know whether two and two made four till we had heard the lecturer's opinion on that head he might have some mental reservation on the subject some pointed ridicule to pour upon the common supposition some learned authority to quote against it to anticipate the line of argument he might pursue was evidently presumptuous and premature one thing only appeared certain that whatever opinion he chose to take up he was able to make good either by the foils or the cudgels by gross banter or nice distinctions by a well-timed mixture of paradox and commonplace by an appeal to vulgar prejudices or startling skepticism it seemed to be equally his object or the tendency of his discourses to unsettle every principle of reason or of common sense and to leave his audience at the mercy of the dictum of a lawyer the nod of a minister or the shout of a mob to effect this purpose he drew largely on the learning of antiquity on modern literature on history poetry and the belletres on the schoolmen and on writers of novels french english and italian in mixing up the sparkling julep that by its potent operation was to scour away the dregs and feculence and peccant humours of the body politic he seemed to stand with his back to the drawers in a metaphysical dispensary and to take out of them whatever ingredient suited his purpose in this way he had an antidote for every error an answer to every folly the writings of burke hume berkeley paley lord bacon jeremy taylor grotius puffendorf cicero aristotle tacitus livy sully machiavel g chardonnay thuanus lay open beside him and he could instantly lay his hand upon the passage and quote them chapter and verse to the clearing up of all difficulties and the silencing of all oppuners mr mackintosh's lectures were after all but a kind of philosophical centos they were profound brilliant new to his hearers but profundity the brilliancy the novelty were not his own 
he was like dr pangloss not voltaire's but colman's who speaks only in quotations and the pith the marrow of sir james reasoning and rhetoric at that memorable period might be put within inverted commas it however served its purpose and the loud echo died away we remember an excellent man and a sound critic footnote the late rev joseph fawcett of williamstow going to hear one of these elaborate effusions and on his want of enthusiasm being accounted for from its not being one of the orator's brilliant days he replied he did not think a man of genius could speak for two hours without saying something by which he would have been electrified we are only sorry at this distance of time for one thing in these lectures the tone and spirit in which they seem to have been composed and to be delivered if all that body of opinions and principles of which the orator read his recantation was unfounded and there was an end of all those views and hopes that pointed to future improvement it was not a matter of triumph or exultation to the lecturer or anybody else to the young or the old the wise or the foolish on the contrary it was a subject of regret of slow reluctant painful admission of lamentation loud heard through the rueful air the immediate occasion of this sudden and violent change in sir james's views and opinions was attributed to a personal interview which he had had a little before his death with mr burke at his house in beaconsfield in the latter end of the year seventeen ninety six appeared the regicide piece from the pen of the great apostate from liberty and betrayer of his species into the hands of those who claimed it as their property by divine right a work imposing solid in many respects abounding in facts and admirable reasoning and in which all flashy ornaments were laid aside for a testamentary gravity the eloquence of despair resembling the throes and heaving and muttered threats of an earthquake rather than the loud thunderbolt and soon after came out a criticism on it in the monthly review doing justice to the author and the style and combating the inferences with force and at much length but with candor and with respect amounting to deference it was new to mr burke not to be called names by persons of the opposite party it was an additional triumph to him to be spoken well of to be loaded with well-earned praise by the author of the vendaishi colossi it was a testimony from an old a powerful and admired antagonist footnote at the time when the vendaishi colossi first made its appearance as a reply to the reflections on the french revolution it was cried upon by the partisans of the new school as a work superior in the charms of composition to its redoubted rival in acuteness depth and soundness of reasoning of course there was supposed to be no comparison End footnote he sent an invitation to the writer to come and see him and in the course of three days animated discussion of such subjects mr mackintosh became a convert not merely to the graces and gravity of mr burke's style but to the liberality of his views and the solidity of his opinions the lincoln's inn lectures were the fruit of this interview such is the influence exercised by men of genius and imaginative power over those who have nothing to oppose to their unforeseen flashes of thought and invention but the dry cold formal deductions of the understanding our politician had time during a few years of absence from his native country and while the din of war and the cries of party spirit were lost over a wide and unhearing ocean to recover from his surprise and from a temporary alienation of mind and to return in spirit and in the mild and mellowed maturity of age to the principles and attachments of his early life 
The appointment of Sir James Mackintosh to a judgeship in India was one which, however flattering to his vanity or favorable to his interests, was entirely foreign to his feelings and habits. It was an honorable exile. He was out of his element among black slaves and sepoys and nabobs and cadets and riders to India. He had no one to exchange ideas with. The unbought grace of life, the charm of literary conversation, was gone. It was the habit of his mind, his ruling passion, to enter into the shock and conflict of opinions on philosophical, political, and critical questions, not to dictate to raw tyros or domineer over persons in subordinate situations, but to obtain the guerdon and the laurels of superior sense and information by meeting with men of equal standing to have a fair field pitched, to argue, to distinguish, to reply, to hunt down the game of intellect with eagerness and skill, to push an advantage, to cover a retreat, to give and take a fall, and gladly would he learn, and gladly teach. It is no wonder that this sort of friendly intellectual gladiatorship is Sir James's greatest pleasure, for it is his peculiar forte. He has not many equals, and scarcely any superior in it he is too indolent for an author too unimpassioned for an orator but in society he is just vain enough to be pleased with immediate attention good-humoured enough to listen with patience to others with great coolness and self-possession fluent communicative and with a manner equally free from violence and insipidity few subjects can be started on which he is not qualified to appear to advantage as the gentleman and the scholar if there is some tinge of pedantry it is carried off by a great affability of address and variety of amusing and interesting topics there is scarce an author that he has not read a period of history that he is not conversant with a celebrated name of which he has not a number of anecdotes to relate an intricate question that he is not prepared to enter upon in a popular or scientific manner if an opinion in an abstruse metaphysical author is referred to he is probably able to repeat the passage by heart can tell the side of the page on which it is to be met with can trace it back through various descents to locke hobbes lord herbert of cherbury to a place in some obscure folio of the schoolman or a note in one of the commentators on aristotle or plato and thus give you a few moments space and without any effort or previous notice a chronological table of the progress of the human mind in that particular branch of inquiry there is something we think perfectly admirable and delightful in an exhibition of this kind and which is equally creditable to the speaker and gratifying to the hearer but this kind of talent was of no use in india the intellectual wares of which the chief judge delighted to make a display were in no request there he languished after the friends and the society he had left behind and wrote over incessantly for books from england one that was sent him at this time was an essay on the principles of human action and the way in which he spoke of that dry tough metaphysical choke-pair showed the dearth of intellectual intercourse in which he lived and the craving in his mind after those studies which had once been his pride and to which he still turned for consolation in his remote solitude perhaps to another the novelty of the scene the differences of mind and manners might have atoned for a want of social and literary agremons but sir james is one of those who see nature through the spectacles of books he might like to read an account of india but india itself with its burning shining face would be a mere blank an endless waste to him to persons of this class of mind things must be translated into words visible images into abstract propositions to meet their refined apprehensions and they have no more to say to a matter-of-fact staring them in the face without a label in its mouth than they would to a hippopotamus 
we may add before we quit this point that we cannot conceive of any two persons more different in colloquial talents in which they both excel than sir james mackintosh and mr coleridge they have nearly an equal range of reading and of topics of conversation but in the mind of one we see nothing but fixtures in the other everything is fluid the ideas of the one are as formal and tangible as those of the other are shadowy and evanescent sir james mackintosh walks over the ground mr coleridge is always flying off from it the first knows all that has been said upon a subject the last has something to say that was never said before if the one deals too much in learned commonplaces the other teems with idle fancies the one has a good deal of the caput mortuum of genius the other is all volatile salt the conversation of sir james mackintosh has the effect of reading a well-written book that of his friend is like hearing a bewildered dream the one is an encyclopedia of knowledge the other is a succession of sibylline leaves as an author sir james mackintosh may claim the foremost rank among those who pride themselves on artificial ornaments and acquired learning or who write what may be termed as a composite style his vindaishi galassi is a work of great labor great ingenuity great brilliancy and great vigor it is a little too antithetical in the structure of its periods too dogmatical in the announcement of its opinions sir james has we believe rejected something of the false brilliance of the one as he has retracted some of the abrupt extravagance of the other we apprehend however that our author is not one of those who draw from their own resources and accumulated feelings or who improve with age he belongs to a class common in scotland and elsewhere who get up school exercises on any given subject in a masterly manner at twenty and who at forty are either where they were or retrograde if they are men of sense and modesty the reason is their vanity is weaned after the first heyday and animal spirits of youth are flown from making an affected display of knowledge which however useful is not their own and may be much more simply stated they are tired of repeating the same arguments over and over again after having exhausted and wrung the changes on their whole stock for a number of times sir james mackintosh is understood to be a writer in the edinburgh review and the articles attributed to him there are full of matter of great pith and moment but they want the trim pointed expression the ambitious ornaments the ostentatious display and rapid volubility of his early productions we have heard it objected to his later compositions that his style is good as far as single words and phrases are concerned but that his sentences are clumsy and disjointed and that these make up still more awkward and sprawling paragraphs this is a nice criticism and we cannot speak to its truth but if the fact be so we think we can account for it from the texture and obvious process of the author's mind all his ideas may be said to be given preconceptions they do not arise as it were out of the subject or out of one another at the moment and therefore do not flow naturally and gracefully from one another they have been laid down beforehand in a sort of formal division or framework of the understanding and the connection between the premises and the conclusion between one branch of a subject and another is made out in a bungling and unsatisfactory manner there is no principle of fusion in the work he strikes after the iron is cold and there is a want of malleability in the style sir james is at present said to be engaged in writing a history of england after the downfall of the house of stuart may it be worthy of the talents of the author and of the principles of the period it is intended to illustrate End of chapter nine Recording by Cat Andrews.